Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. The Bible says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rain righteousness upon you. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, It's Time for God to Show Up. I want you to get that. It's time for God to show up. It's time for God to show up in this church. It's time for God to show up in your family, in your marriage, in your relationship, in your health. We're talking about getting better, getting healthy in 2017 in all these different areas. You can do it on your own if you want to try. But the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor build it in vain. So I want us to focus, I want us to concentrate on this sermon titled, It's Time for God to Show Up. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, you promised that if we'd gather in your name, that you would dwell among us, that you would be with us, God. And we gather in your name today, and we look to your word now for instruction, for guidance, for truth. God, I ask you to increase our faith. Lord, we believe and we ask you to help our unbelief. God, I pray that you'd anoint me even now to say what you'd have me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. I said for years that because it's my habit to read the scripture, pray, or read the scripture, announce the sermon title, and then pray, I'm believing God for one day when I read the scripture and I announce the sermon that people are going to get it so, so instantly deep in their spirit that they throw their tithing offering on the altar and just lay out on the floor in mass weeping and repentance. That would be a church service. That would be when we know God showed up. Listen, too many times churches, including this one, have services where God doesn't really show up. We need God to show up. He, now, he's here because he promised he'd be here. We gather in his name, so he's here. We sing praises to him. He said he inhabits the praises of his people. But I don't want him just to show up. I want him to show out. I want God to show up in every church service we have to such a point to where it's not just two people saying amen and it's not just four people saying I enjoyed the message today. I want people to truly be able to say in the midst of what's going on, the presence of the Lord is here. I can feel it in the atmosphere. I want people to truly be able to say, God spoke to me in church today, and I can't wait to come back and experience that again. Because if you don't experience anything spiritual when you come to church, you're missing out on what God has for you. Coming to church is just coming to church. It just clutters up your calendar, and it can get routine and ritualistic and boring. But coming to church and seeing God show up in your life is exciting and fascinating and supernatural. And it is time for, for God to show up. I'm going to preach this message this morning. It's pri primarily going to be to Christians. If you're not yet born again, good news for you. God said if you call on his name, he'll save you. Then you can be in on all this good stuff we're going to talk about 
this morning. But specifically, the group I want to talk to are the Christians who are having trouble finding and walking in the real peace that God promised with conversion. Think about it. God's word tells us that when we come to him and surrender our lives to his will, his agenda, and his way, when we come to him, repent of our sin, and are born again, that there is a change that happens on the inside of us. And that's real. I remember when I first got saved, July 15, 1981, 36 years ago next month. And it was such a change, and it was so awesome to me. It was so exciting. I felt like the weight of the whole world had come off my back. I felt clean before God for the first time in my life. No guilt, no shame. I was fired up. I was excited. I was reading. I was praying. I was studying. That's the story for most people who really get saved. But guess what happens by and by? Life. Life happens. Disappointment. People. People get on your nerves. People bother you. People want to throw water on your fire. You give a testimony. You're so excited. You're like, oh, I'm going to testify in church tonight. You're so thrilled about what God has done in your life. You say it, and everybody looks at you. And you're like, why don't they get this? This is incredible. God just did something for me. You're fired up about it. But, but what happens? People throw water on your fire. People throw wet blanket on your joy. People tell you, calm down when you're getting raised up. So here's the thing. If we had everybody brand new, just, I mean, real redemption. I'm not talking about jailhouse religion. Now, I believe, I've, I've led many people to Christ in jail. I believe people get truly saved in jail, but I'm not talking about the type of religion that you just get to get out of trouble. I'm talking about if we had really born-again new Christians in this room, people who hadn't been weighed down with old Christians yet. When we said, come on, let's sing to God, let's clap, let's smile, let's rejoice, they'd be off the chain. But they do that when they first get saved, and they're like, oh, this ain't the place for that. This ain't the place for what, rejoicing? Yes, it is. Don't let them tired, boring, dull, defeated, wiped out Christians get on your nerves to the point where you stop worshiping God. It's funny. I know Chris loves the Lord, and... I see when he's trying to encourage the priest. Listen, it encourages me when you say amen because that lets me know you agree. That's what amen means. I agree with what you just said, preacher. You told the truth. I, I, I accept that and receive that. I, I put my cosign on that. that. That's good right there. That encourages me. to. Uh, and and when I, I see people, Chris will say amen because that God touched something in him through the spoken word. And listen, before there was a book, there was a voice. God wants to touch you through the spoken word. And when God touches him through the spoken word, he'll, he'll respond and several people, and it's going to cut some of y'all, but it's going to stop y'all from bothering me. Some of y'all will just look over at him like, and then lean into the defeated person you're sitting next to. There you go. There you go. Well, let me ask you a question. Where you go? We need to be excited about God. I understand life is rough. I'm a single parent. I understand life is difficult. I buried my younger brother, preached his funeral. I buried my wife, preached her funeral. I, I, I have seen all the ugly in church. People are like, well, I don't go to church because there's too much drama. 
You go to your house every day. All kind of drama there. Tell you, go try that. I ain't coming to work today, boss. Too much drama. Well, you won't have to worry about coming back. They'll replace you and add more drama. I understand that there's difficulty in church. I understand that there's problems in church. I understand that people, preachers, leaders, deacons, backsliders who are in church will let you down, hurt you, make you wonder should you ever go back. But I'm here to tell you God is worth serving no matter what people do. And we ought to be excited to serve a living God. We ought to be excited to testify, to praise him, to receive what God has to say to us. I'm going to tell you one thing. It is exciting to be in a room that's exciting. And it's dull to be in a room that's dull. The problem is, how do you make the room exciting so it can be exciting? Well, you got to get some people in there that believe something. What if you went out, people say, oh, I felt the Holy Ghost had chill bumps all over me. I get that. I've seen that. But I've also been in some worldly concerts in my life. I felt goosebumps all over me. Man, you want the hair on the back of your neck to stand up? Go to Las Vegas, see Celine Dion sing. Them people in there are so excited about her, the energy's electric. We need to have that type of atmosphere in the church because you so believe that God is real and that you want something from him, you come hungry. Hungry people eat anything, and they'll thank God for what there is to eat. I want you to get ready today to receive what God has for you. I told you the message is for truly born-again people that are struggling to find that peace and that victory and that joy that the Bible talks about. You know how many people in this room that includes that are saved? All of them. There's not one person, I do not believe, if it's you, come see me after church. In 14 seconds, I'll turn you around. There's not one person that I have ever met that I believe was living fully everything God had for them. But how cool would it be if we started to move in that direction? How cool would it be if we started to move? Because I've told people for years, the key to growing in Christ is just do a little more of the right stuff and a little less of the wrong stuff. Move a little closer to God and a little further away from your past. And soon you'll find out you're growing in the Lord. And it's exciting to be growing in the Lord. But the problem is, once you stop being excited about growing in the Lord, once you stop living a life of joy, righteousness, and praise, it's as if God quit showing up for you. That's why some people can hear the same message you hear and be excited to have heard what God said, and you're like, nah, nah, I didn't really feel it that much today. Maybe it was me. No, it was you. It was you. It it doesn't take a preacher. Listen, we've messed it up in in churches across America. We filled pulpits with great orators that had nothing on the inside. We filled the pulpit with people who could sing, shout, buck, dance, sweat, holler, and motivate crowds without saying anything. And it's not on the speaker that should determine your reception, it's on your ears and your heart that determines your reception. If all I say is Mary had a little lamb, his fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go because God loved Mary and gave her a lamb, and if you love God, he'll give you something too. That's how church 
Real saved people ought to receive from the Lord. Say They ought to just say anything right now. I'm going to shout. You ought to be on edge. I've tell y'all before, it's just like these graduation services. And I'm so glad my children are now past the seventh grade. It first through fifth grade just wore me out. Every month and a half, award ceremony. Every year, uh, we're graduating from kindergarten. Oh, they didn't pee on themselves all year, so you gave them, you moved them on? Okay. We're graduating now from first grade. Did we just do this last year in the same building? Graduating from third grade. Well, why didn't we have second grade? I want to go on petition right now for us. I don't because I'm tired. But when, when Bubba's family shows up to high school graduation, now, nobody in Bubba's family ever graduated high school. You know, they're like the Beverly Hillbillies. Y'all remember Jethro? Jethro was the smart one in the bunch because he had eighth grade education. That used to be something back in the day. The church Dean and I went to, when, when we first got saved, the pastor in the church had an eighth grade education. And he was an awesome man of God and a great preacher. And, uh, but when Bubba graduating, they are on edge. Bubba let, let me, uh, Williams. All right, Bubba Williams. You know why I said Williams? Because that make them a long time to wait. Here comes Albert Anderson. They're like, look at all these people in front of Bubba. But they're waiting. And when they get up to the bees, they're like, they're getting closer. They get up to the S. They're, no, they're getting closer. Here it comes. Here it comes. I, I see them. They are so ready. to. They brought that cowbell. Do not bring a cowbell to church. I've seen them bring the cowbell to high school graduation and ring the cowbell and scream, whoa, Bubba. I ain't mad at them. I'm talking about them, but I ain't mad at them. Why? They came to celebrate someone they love because someone they love was real to them and doing something that they wanted to celebrate. We ought to want to celebrate what God has done and is doing. The problem is most real Christians are frustrated. You don't have to agree with me. I'm right all by myself. Most real, don't, don't feel like you're by yourself. If, if your real honest answer right now is, Pastor, I'm frustrated. Here's how we clean it up in, 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 because we're so worried what people think about us. Listen, God knows the truth. What difference does it make? You fool everybody, but God knows the truth. We have to clean it up in church because we don't want to be too real. Now, I want to be real. I'm going to strip it down butt naked and be honest with you. But church folk want to be like, well, possibly, Pastor, I, I, I may be just a tad bit frustrated. Can you define tad for me? Don't use words you can't define. I, I may just be somewhat. Fr- what does somewhat frustrated mean? That's like you may be partly pregnant. No, you is or you ain't. But the reality is most Christians, if not all Christians, are frustrated. They are not where they know they should be. They want to have this joy that they hear the book talk about and they see other people. And here's what happens. Most times when somebody really gets joyful, 95% 95% of Christians in the room think in their mind, she faking it. You know he ain't all that. I bet he don't do that in his house. And 
they start rehearsing these things in their head. Why? Because they don't have it. So they don't want to believe that it's real. But we got to believe that joy is real. God said peace is real. But most of us are, that are truly saved, I'm talking about born again people, don't have the joy and the peace that the book promises for real Christians. We need to find out how to get God to show up and do something in our life. Because the Christian life is too hard to live without Christ. We're trying to live the Christian life without Christ. We're trying to walk around and tell everybody we're saved, but we ain't living a saved life. We're walking around telling people we trust the Lord, but we don't listen to the Lord. So we got we to get somewhere that you want to be. And God is here to help us today. If you listen to what God has to say today and apply what he tells you, you're going to change. Change is hard, and most people don't want it, though. Even people that are miserable, you can become content in your misery. Lots of people struggling been for years with unforgiveness, hurt, pain, bitterness over something that happened to them years and years and years ago. And they're upset, they're angry, and they're unforgiving. But all that heated emotion is the only thing keeping them warm at night. And they cling to it as their battle axe. And they go through life that way forever, thinking that's what defines them. God doesn't want misery and bitterness to define you. God wants righteousness, peace, and joy to define you. Change is hard. But, 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 but God sent me today to challenge you so you would change. Too many people that are really saved. You were excited when you got saved. You had to be. If you understood what salvation was, you had to be excited that you weren't going to hell anymore. You had to be excited that the real God that created everything is a part of you now. You had to be excited about that, but you let difficulty in life make you bitter. But it's time for us to get better. That's the thing about challenges. Challenges have, have that one or two effects on you. and could have both at times. Challenges, hardship, difficulty, strain, struggle, pain, pathos, all can make you bitter or can make you better. You get to choose. Don't think that hardship has to make you bitter. Well, Patrick, if you knew what I was going through, you'd be bitter too. Listen, I got my own bitter struggles. Don't be putting none of your bitter struggle on me. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to change my, my on, on, on the things that I need to change on. I'm trying to let God use me and mold me. The Bible says God wants to conform us and transform us and shape us to the image of his son, Jesus, so that we look more like him and less like us. But we got to do some things. We, 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 gotta, we got to get somewhere that God wants us to be. Listen, if you are facing challenges in your life, I want you to listen to what's said today. I want you to apply what you hear and embrace the change that God has for you. You say, well, Pastor, what if I'm not going through challenges in my life, then just go ahead and lay down at the funeral home because you died already. <laughs> the Bible said as long as you're in this life, you had tribulation. You're always going to have trials. You're always going to have tests. Now, the test can destroy you or the test can give you a testimony that honors God. Either way, it's going to give you a testimony. It's going to give you a testimony of how bad you struggled through it, or it's going to give you a testimony of how great God was in the middle of it. So I want you to listen. I, I've said many times when you read the Bible, you should look for commands 
and you should look for promises. You should look for commands so you can obey them, and you should look for promises so you can receive them. Don't just read the Bible and say, okay, I read a chapter. You'd be ready to, better to read one phrase and get something from it than to read five chapters and get nothing from it. It's not just about reading. It's about receiving and applying. Too many Christians. Listen, if, if one of y'all, anybody that's a Christian, found a new thing in the book, and want to start a new thing. You, you can write a book. You don't even have to write it. You pay somebody $1,200, they'll, they'll ghost write it for you. All, all these dudes, all these famous preachers, they don't write them books. They, I, I wrote a guy, I met a guy one time at a conference. He had written, he claimed 90% of all Rod Parsley and T.D. Jake's books. I'm guessing he wrote 100% of them because most preachers don't have time to write books. Okay, especially preachers on that on that level. But you don't even have to write the book. You can pay a ghostwriter to write it. But if you're promising a new edge, a new twist, if you're promising a fresh outlook, it's time for God to do a new thing. People get excited about learning something new. Why? Because it makes them feel better. They ain't learned nothing that's old. God said return to the old ways for their best. The book says there's nothing new under the sun. One theologian said it this way, if it's new, it ain't true. Because everything that God said has been said. We don't need new stuff. We need to apply what we know. Let's listen to, to, to the word of the Lord this morning. In our text, we got both a command and a promise. The command is twofold. It, it, it tells us to sow to yourself in righteousness and break up your fallow ground. That's two things we have to do. How many things? We have to sow to ourselves in righteousness, and we have to break up our fallow ground. I said there's a command and a promise. The promise is twofold as well. The promise is that you will reap mercy, and God will show up and rain righteousness on you. Let, let, let's, let's look at it and figure it out and piece it together. Because the Scripture says that when you study the Bible, you have to rightly divide the truth. Now, what that's a picture of, because the Greek language, which the New Testament was primarily written in Greek, was a very picturesque language. And it drew imagery so that you could see a picture in your head of what it's talking about. So when you study the Bible, you have to rightly divide the truth. What's the best picture of that we can paint an image of? A puzzle. Now, if it's got more than four pieces to a puzzle, I don't want to mess with it. Everybody's not smiling, never did a puzzle before. I have seen people have big tables full. You see these puzzles? Go, go, go to Family Dollar and look in the puzzles. Go, go wherever you go. Look at the puzzles and see these puzzles that say like 8,000 pieces. I'm thinking, you got all that time on your hands. 8,000 pieces. Whether it's eight pieces or 8,000 pieces, real puzzle makers, people who want to really put that puzzle together that have wisdom, they start rightly dividing the pieces when they dump them out. Dump out all the pieces. Turn them all face up so you can see what's going on. And then there's four pieces that you need to identify quickly. What are they? And then there's a lot of other pieces. At them edges, them outlines, you need to get all them flat pieces. And put. what are you doing? You're rightly dividing. You're separating and putting stuff in the right place. You're putting things where they need to go. 
When you read the Bible, you need to learn how to rightly divide. This is what the Scripture commands us to do. Rightly divide the word of truth. You need to figure out which part of this applies to me. What God trying to say to me? What do I need to learn from this? Where do I apply this in my life? If you're not puzzling out the Scripture, you're just reading and it's going over your head. And if you be honest, there's plenty of times you read the Bible and it just went over your head. And you just had to say, well, at least I read it. I hope God would just osmosis give it to me in my sleep. Some of y'all playing Bible on tape thinking that you're going to get better by hearing it in your sleep. You know what you hear in your sleep? Nothing. You don't even hear yourself snore. You say, oh, no, Pastor. Uh, I hear myself snore. As a matter of fact, I wake myself. That's when you hear yourself. You were snoring so loud you woke up and heard it. You say, is it wrong? No, it's not wrong to listen to the Bible while you sleep. But it's better to listen to it while you're awake so you can divide it, so you can apply it to where it goes. We're going to piece this thing out this morning. We got a command that's twofold. We got a promise that's twofold. I told you about promises before in the Bible. They're either conditional or unconditional. Uh, conditional promise means you have to meet the prerequisite that God lays out. That, that if you do this, then God will do that. And that's why I tell you, always look for the words if and then. If you see the word if and then in the same passage, there's promise in there somewhere. If God says if this, then that, you can be sure. If you do the if, God always does the then. If God says if you commit wickedness, then you will reap chastisement. You do your if and watch that then come your way. If God says, if you will be faithful, God will bless you, then you got to see the if then. That's a conditional promise. Most of God's promises are conditional. Some are unconditional. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We all get oxygen. We all have, listen, it is, if you ever study science at any level, you're going to understand that when I say this, it's, it's more than just something to hear. It's worth thinking about. That if the earth was any closer to the sun, we would burn up. If it was any further away from the sun, we'd freeze to death. This is the only planet. Stop making eight planets. Stop making eight planets. Been, I went to school with nine planets. I still got Pluto as a planet. Tell your teacher I said so. The pastor said so. The only one of those nine planets that can sustain us is the one we're on. But people don't believe in a God. It just happened like that. We just showed up here. Well, it was a big bang theory and, 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 and an explosion happened and, and everything just worked out perfect. The trees grew like they were supposed to. The fish grew. What? That's like me taking your watch and smashing it up with a hammer. And it's shaking it up in a box and throwing it at you and say, see, now it had an explosion and it all works together perfectly. No, it doesn't. An explosion will make it work less perfectly. For people to believe that we breathe something that the plants put off and they breathe something that we put off and how all this stuff works together is phenomenal. I hope you believe in a real God. I hope you believe. I mean, whether you believe or not, some things are just promised to everybody. The oxygen that we breathe is so specific that it has to be just the right amount of... A, you're not breathing pure oxygen in this room. 
we, we'd, all, we'd all be loopy on pure oxygen for too long. God gave us the right amount of air to breathe. God lets your heart beat when you don't think about it. People talk about involuntary responses in the body. Involuntary heart beating. Okay, so, so what? If it stopped, you'd so what? You put pain on your children to figure out where they're going to bury you. God has done so many cool things. God has so many promises. Some are unconditional. Most are conditional. That's why we got to study what the promises are because if you figure out what the promises are, you can start accessing them. You can start receiving them because a Christian who is not receiving promises right now is bored. A Christian who is not receiving promises that they could testify about right now is bitter. A Christian who is not receiving promises that they can rejoice in right now has very little to offer a lost and dying world. God told us to go into all the world and preach this gospel to every creature. God told us to go tell it on a mountain. Go tell everybody what God has done in your life. What are we going to tell people? If you're not accessing any promises, if you're busted, disgusted, can't be trusted, if you're broken and cooter brown slop mule, if you got nothing going on but misery and the rent, what are you going to tell somebody? Come to Jesus. You can be like me. Like I'm just <laughs> over here. God wants to show up in your life. God wants to bless you. God wants to shine you as a trophy to his grace so that all the world can see that our God is better than their God because our God is real and their God ain't. But we got to get him doing some real stuff in our life. There's some things that we need to do if we want to receive God's promises. So, so let, let's, let's get some motivation going by looking at the promises before we look at the command. In this one verse, we got promises and we got commands. Let's look at it. The promises first. I told you the promise is twofold. The, the, the word says that we'll reap mercy and God will show up and rain righteousness on you. Now, that looks like three if you look at it. Um, reap mercy. What you got on the screen? There we go. Reap mercy. God shows up and rains righteousness on you. But the verb tense in the Hebrew puts that God showing up for the purpose of reigning righteousness on you as one thing. But I like the fact that God shows up. Just getting God to show up would be worth hearing about today. Just getting God involved in what we're doing would be worth hearing about today. But the promise that I want you to lock into today is, number one, reaping mercy, which is good enough all by itself, if you understand mercy. And number two, God showing up for the purpose of reigning righteousness on you. Now, let's think about what it means to reap mercy. Okay, to reap is to obtain as a result of effort. You get back what you put out. That's in everything. Jack Hayford, a great theologian, wrote a book titled The Key to Everything is Giving. And it looked like a money book, but it wasn't about money. It was about everything. He said the key to being happy is to give away happiness because you reap what you sow. To reap is to obtain something as a result of effort. Sowing is planting. Reaping is harvesting. We want to reap mercy. It's what you get for what you do. You want better in life? You got to do better. You want more happiness? You got to give happiness away. 
You want more excitement? You got to give some excitement out. You got to put out there what you want to get back. Listen, this, this, this is going to where some of y'all will just turn the channel. If you want more money, you got to give money away. God says that you will get back what you give. I hear people say, well, Pastor, that don't always mean that you're going to get back money. Sometimes you just get back peace of mind. No, you give away peace of mind, you'll get back peace of mind. If you plant tomato seeds, you're not going to grow watermelons. You, you, you plant an apple tree, you're not going to harvest tangerines, okay? You, you get back what you give out. So reaping, the promise is that we're going to reap mercy. We're going to obtain mercy. Now, listen to what mercy is. Oh, we need this mercy more than we know. Leniency and compassion shown toward offenders by a person charged with administering justice. It is a judicial term that says that the judge decides to go soft on you when you deserve more. Some of y'all never stood before a judge. I stood before a judge. I, I've been in jail before I was saved. I thank God I've never been incarcerated since I've been saved. That's part of my testimony. I was incarcerated several times before Christ, never been incarcerated. That's not to say I won't be. Jesus was incarcerated as a saved man. Dr. King was, I mean, you can be incarcerated as a saved man. I thank God I haven't been. But when I stood before the judge, I wanted mercy. I didn't want to be like, just give me what I got coming. Throw the book at me, dog. Flex out. Go ahead. You bad? Say something. Well, what's the guideline? Six months probation to 12 years in prison? Give me the max. No, because I'm not ignorant. I didn't want six months probation. Here's what I want, and this is what I got. And you don't have to know law, and you don't ever have to get arrested, hopefully. But I got adjudication withheld. You say, what does that mean? They said, as long as I don't mess up in the next two years, they'll squash that off me. I thank God for that. What was that? That was mercy. They could have put me in prison, but they gave me less than what I had coming to me. Mercy is when somebody could punish you justly, but they don't do it. Parents sometimes show mercy to their children. Some parents show too much mercy to their children, and that's why their children are hellions. That's why the children can't sit still, and when mama says, sit down, they keep running. My pressure gets up just watching that. You tell your children to stop talking and sit down, and they don't do it, my pressure gets worked up. Because I start thinking, what if I told Jake to sit down, and he, mm. oh, call the police. Get 911 on the phone because I can't find 912. Somebody needs to come help. But there are times, even in my home, as an ultra-disciplinarian, where I choose to show mercy. See, mercy should be the exception. Justice is the rule. Justice says, you did that. You brought home that D. Now I got to put these boots on you. You hit your children with them boots. Come on now. Some things aren't literal. Maybe. They violated the rules. 
The rules were set in place. The punishment is predefined. So now it's a determination to make. As the one who administers all justice in my home, I got to determine, do I give them mercy or do I lay them across? Listen, in my home, I lay them across my bed butt naked with a belt. I don't think, hey, man, hey, hey, I went to school. I got SWATs. They'd be like, you want SWATs or you want me to call home? They give me them SWATs. You think I didn't have a notebook in my underwear? Come on now. Folded up paper, five set of drawers on. Come on, man. Ain't nobody sneaking me. Take them pants off and lay it. I got to decide. You going to get this belt? Or am I going to be merciful on you and let you go with a talking? Okay? Sometimes mercy has value. Justice has value as well. So when we, and I say we because it's all of us, break God's laws, we either going to get mercy or justice. Now, I read about a man in this book who was so out there in a good way, he told God, Search me and try me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Reward me according to my efforts. I'm thinking, this dude, does he know what he's saying? This King David. But he's also the same guy that the Bible says that he studied and meditated on God's book day and night. Okay, now, you know, if, if you're thinking about God on two occasions, day and night, then you might, you know, you probably want to be rewarded for what you're doing. But if you're like everybody else, you want to flip that upside down. God, don't look at all my junk. I need mercy. That's why they write songs, I need his mercy and I need his grace. I want God's mercy. What, what is mercy? Getting less than what you deserve. It implies compassion that withholds punishment even when justice demands punishment. God said that sin must be punished. The Bible says the payment for sin is death. Well, what did Jesus do on the cross? He died. So Jesus paid the payment for our sin, and if we will trust in that, we can get mercy. But if we don't trust in that, we're going to get judgment. You better pray. And ask God for mercy. The book says we can reap mercy. This is one of these promises. To obtain compassion from God and a lack of punishment even when you deserve it. I heard a preacher one time preaching. He was trying to scare everybody. He was talking about sowing and reaping. He said, and God don't have crop failure. If you sow bad, bad crops are going to spring up all around you. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I thank God for every time a crop failed in my life. I thank God for every time I sowed something that could have came up bad on me. I, I rolled it the wrong way, but God, by his mercy, you better pray some of them bad crops fail. For they choke out everything in you. You better pray that God gives you less justice and more mercy. Lack of punishment even when you deserve it. Oh, well, we're Christians, Pastor Scott. My home loves the Lord. We save, sanctified, fire, baptized. We, we read scripture in our home. Praise the Lord. 
I bet you don't want, I bet you don't want justice 24-7 in that house. I bet if we put your life on big screen for the last 30 days and, and we, we were going to let God rain down fire on you every time you stepped out of line, you'd be scorched like the rest of us. What am I saying? It's okay to live shabby? No, it's not okay to live shabby. I said justice is the rule. Mercy is the exception. You ought to live as close to the holy as you can and ask God for mercy when you mess up. See, even as a parent in the natural, God is our parent in the spiritual, our heavenly father. As a parent in the natural, if my kid is doing good, 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 eh, messes up a little bit on mistake, I can oversee that. But if they're doing good, bad, 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 good, bad, 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 something's going wrong with me. I'm not administering enough justice. Because that justice will get your feet pointing in the right direction. That justice will wake you up. Mercy is for people who are sincere. Now, here's the thing. Some of y'all fading already. Get mercy while it's available. If you get in a bind and you have spiritual charges come up against you and the heavenly district attorney offers you a plea, accept whatever's offered. I'm taking this to court because I don't deserve. No, take whatever's offered while it's on the table. I saw a dude, they offered this dude two years. Maximum penalty was 25. He thought he could beat it because he thought he'd face an entrapment. He thought that he wasn't as wrong as he should have been. He said, no, we're going to court. And he got 25. Don't it happen, Stacy? Stacy works there. You think you're going to one-up the people that are trying to show you mercy when somebody's got the big stick and they offer you less than what you deserve? You throw your hands up, say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'll take it. Get mercy from God before the stick even gets touched. Get mercy from God. Listen, if you're out there slipping, if you're out there scheming, if you're out there creeping, if you're out there doing dirt and think nobody knows, God already knows. God already knows. If, you're, if you ain't even doing dirt, if you're not reading your Bible and praying like you should, if you're not witnessing to your community, if you're not paying tithes and offerings, if you're not serving God with, with the talents that he's given you, fall on your knees and ask God for mercy. Ask him not to judge you for your lack of doing right. Ask him to give you compassion to reap mercy is to obtain compassion and a lack of punishment. Any, would anybody like to get compassion and a lack of punishment? All right. The other 115 of y'all can all get justice. Hallelujah. The, the way we obtain this mercy, it, the way we get this promise, the way we reap this benefit is to fulfill the condition of the text. It's just good parenting. If you'll get in your mind that God is your heavenly father and you are the child, you'll be able to understand how to get blessed. Do what daddy said. If you do what daddy said, life will go better. Do what your parents tell you to do, and then they're not going to come on you crazy. Don't make them punish you. Good parents want to bless you. Good parents want to do good things for you. But so many times, children prevent their own blessing because their parents are too committed to their raising. Child, bring home all lifts. Woo, let's go to Disney World. You got too much money. 
and you need a parenting class. Bad behavior demands punishment. But the exception is mercy. And you need to learn how to ask God for mercy while it's available. Because the Bible says that those who have been often reproved, told, you're messing up, you're messing up, you're messing up. Those who've been often reproved but hardened their neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. God said, if you hear him keep saying, stop doing that, man. Don't do that no more. Stay off that website. Throw that phone number away. Turn in that second cell phone. Quit acting like that. Stop doing those things. And God keeps telling you that in his mercy. And all he's wanting you to say is, yes, daddy. We're good. Everything's good. We keep rolling. You stiffen your neck. I'm going to do me. You've been often reproved. You've been told, see, the good thing about God is he, he don't spank you the first time he tells you something. But watch out for that second time. See, no good parent spanks a child for what they don't know they're doing wrong. But after the parents told you and told you and told you, well, trouble's coming. God says if you've been often corrected and you harden your neck, you get stubborn, he said you will be suddenly destroyed and that without remedy. Some of y'all need to realize destruction may be this far away from you right now. I don't believe God would do that to me. Well, the God of this book will because he said he will. I don't know what God you're serving, but the God of this book said that if he keeps correcting you and you get stubborn on him, you will be destroyed suddenly. You won't even see it coming. And that without remedy. Well, you can't fall down and ask for mercy now. You step in the trick bag. You close the lid on yourself when you should have crawled out and begged for mercy. So here's what I'm telling you. Get God's mercy while it's available. Stop doing what you're doing now before the hammer falls. God said that we could get this blessing, but the, the, we got to fulfill the condition in the text. God said, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. So to reap, to get mercy, we have to sow to ourselves in righteousness. Now, I've told you many times, the Bible is a specific book, and you got to pay attention to every word. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Well, I want God to fix me. God's going to fix you many times if you allow him to, but other times he's going to give you the tools to fix yourself. God said he wants us to have self-control. Well, I just need God to control me. The God of this book wants you to control you to his glory. So there are many times where you have to do something yourself. When's God going to come through for me, Pastor? I just want to know when my ship is going to come in. There are no ships coming in. It's heaven and hell. Get right or get left. Up, down, in, out. That's all there is. People, people, you, you, well, I, I wish God. I, there are people who have told me, I don't think God's been fair to me. I'm like, I agree. I agree. He should have killed you. That would have been fair. You should be on your 13th marriage. That would have been fair. No, you should just be alone and lonely. That would be fair. You should have all your children incarcerated, locked up for life. That would be fair. I've had people tell me, I'm just mad at God because I feel like he shortchanged me. The only thing God ever shortchanged us on was punishment. 
So we got to get in our minds that there's something. People say, well, I'm just waiting on God to do something in my life. God already did something in your life at the cross of Calvary. He gave his son to pay our payment for sin so we could have life. Get this if you don't get anything. Stop waiting on God to do something for you, Christian, and do something for yourself to the glory of God. Do something yourself. Pick up your Bible and read it. Take your money and give it. Take your time and use it for the right purpose. You have to sow. To sow means to spread out thickly. It's like Johnny Appleseed reaching in the bag, throwing fur. It's like those little broadcast spreaders. We call them broadcast spreaders because they throw seed everywhere. It's to cover ground in good seed. Sowing, just cover up yourself in righteousness. You can't do that in front of TV all the time. You say, well, Pastor, you have television. I do. And I, I love the History Channel. I love sports. But I don't love anything more than I love God. And I spend more time reading this book than I spend watching television. You say, no way. Way. For you too. But you got to determine that you're going to sow some righteousness yourself. And stop waiting on God to fix all your problems. That's why some of you are still in problems. You're waiting on God. God's waiting on you. Who you think's got longer to wait? God said a thousand years to him just like a day. So what is your 85 years of living going to be? Not me, Pastor. I'm going to live to 120. What's your 120 going to be? That's a blink to God. God has more time to wait than you have to wait. I'm waiting on God. He's waiting on you. You can't outwait God. He's got more time. He's eternal. We're just temporary in this body. And you have to learn how to sow righteousness to yourself. The word righteousness means right standing. We, 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 we got to spread righteousness thickly on our lives if we, if we want to have the promise. The, the, the promise that we get is to reap mercy. But to get the mercy, we have to sow righteousness thickly all around us. Right standing, living right, doing the right thing. There's a righteousness that the Bible talks about that comes from salvation. The scripture says that God made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made him to be sin for us. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If I were to ask you how many people in this room believe they are as righteous as Jesus Christ, every Christian should be confident to raise their hand and say, yes, from a positional heavenly mindset, I am as righteous as Christ because God gave me his righteousness and took my sin. Okay, that's a positional righteousness from a heaven mindset. But there's a practical righteousness from a day-to-day mindset. And this is talking about what you do yourself, not what God sees. So you have to establish yourself in some right living. You have to establish yourself in some right patterns. You have to establish yourself in some right behaviors. Well, how do we know what's right? We read it in the book. We rightly divide what it says, and we pull out these commands, and we do them because we all want to reap mercy. But to reap mercy, then we have got to sow to ourselves righteousness. Let me ask you this. Don't answer out loud, but think about it. Sowing is the seeds you plant. Seeds are the actions, good or bad. What 
type of seeds have you been planting in your life this week? This month, 2017, this millennium, your lifetime. What type of behavior have you been living because your future looks like the seeds you are planting right now? You want a better future? You got to plant better seeds. You can't just say, man, I sure wish I'd, uh, uh, I, I had an orange tree, an apple tree, and a pear tree in my backyard. You can pray, you can declare and decree. I declare and I decree one big apple tree. I declare and I decree a pear tree for me. You can speak it all you want to. But it's not going to happen until you break that ground up and plant something. And then declare it and decree it and believe God and agree with God for what he says. And it'll be healthy and it'll grow. But there's some things that we have to do. If you're saved, you're right with God as far as eternity goes. But this verse says, so righteousness to yourself. It's talking about living a right kind of life and obedient to God's word life. If you do the right thing, you get the right result. If you do the wrong thing, you get the wrong result. I've heard people say, Pastor, I'd do anything to have God's mercy. I'd do anything to have God's favor. I, listen, that means he's not punishing when you deserve it. People say, oh, I'd do anything. i, I just do anything to, to obtain from God. Well, God said live holy, but people live sinful. So what kind of seeds are they planting? God said deny yourself and live for him, but people deny God and live for themselves. So what kind of seeds are we planting? God said to tithe. People said, no, that's my money. So what kind of seeds are we planting? God said to serve. People say, well, that's my time. God, God said to sacrifice. And people say, well, I'll do it if it works in my schedule. If you're not planting the right type of seed, don't scratch your head and wonder why. See, that's the thing that makes me wonder why. People come in my office, God, God, I just don't know why everything's falling apart in my life and my kids are about to go to jail and everybody's failing and my bills are buying and I'm just about to get figured out. I don't know where to live. Well, let's talk about it. How are you living? You serving God? You reading your Bible? You praying? You paying tithes? Giving offerings? You involved in ministry? What, what, are you, what are you doing with your life? What you're doing has an impact on your future. And we need to realize that. So my first point is, if you want God's mercy in your life today, you got to live by God's laws today. If you want God's mercy, you got to live by God's law. If you want God's blessing, you got to put yourself in a blessable situation. The only time my children are ever not blessed is when they remove themselves from a blessable situation. You put yourself in a punishable situation and count on mercy, mercy ain't always going to be there. The second promise in our text, God said he'll show up and rain righteousness on you. How cool would that be? What if God showed up in your house and just started raining down righteousness on your house? Just started pouring out blessing, right standing, right mind, frame of mind right, joy right, peace right. What if God just showed up and started raining his righteousness all over you? That's how life's supposed to be. God showing up, raining righteousness on you. There, there, there's, there's, there's some caveats here, though. There, 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 there's some things in here that need to be paid attention to. There, there's some things that, that we gotta, we got to do right to get right. God says, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. He said, break out your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord 
until he come and rain righteousness on you. All right? I want God to show up and rain righteousness down on this church, on my life, on my children, on my finances, on everything that I put my hand to do. It's time to seek the Lord until, that's what the word till means, he comes and rain righteousness. I got to seek the Lord to get him to come. Now, in the original language, the phrase means that you can bring near God through this behavior. Till he comes. Till he comes means that you can draw God into your situation. What if that happened in your life? What if you drew God in your situation? Well, how does that happen? You seek him. Seek and you shall find. You say, well, I sought and I didn't find. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. It's time to seek the Lord. Listen, if you don't hear anything, hear this. It's time for you to seek the Lord. Well, I've been seeking him. Seek him at a higher level. Well, I've been reading my Bible and praying five minutes a day. Go to six. I didn't say go to an hour. If you're doing 55 minutes a day, go to an hour. It's time to seek the Lord because when we get serious about seeking the Lord, we are going to bring him into our situation, and he's just going to begin to shower all over us. I like that old song. It said, showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops around us are falling, but for the showers we plead. All of us have little mercy drops. But I want God to rain down blessing on you. I want God to rain down righteousness on me. We've got to seek him until that happens. The word righteousness here comes from the exact same root word that we get our words deliverance and victory. You bound in any area of your life? You defeated in any area of your life? Seek the Lord, and he's going to bring deliverance in your life. He's going to rain down victory on you. We are not seeing this happen in America. We are not seeing the miraculous, supernatural things that the rest of the world is seeing in America because we have television. We have satellite radio with 800, 900, 2,000 channels. We have Internet. We have cell phones, tablets. We have all these different distractions that keep us out from the, the blessing of God that brings deliverance and victory. We got to get God. We can cause God to step in. We can bring him near to us, our homes, our marriages. We can get victory and deliverance, but we got to seek him until it happens. You say, well, I've been seeking him, and it hadn't happened. Listen real close. Seek him until it happens. You say, well, I've been seeking him, and it hadn't happened. Listen real close. Seek him until it happens. How long do you have to seek him? Until it happens. You believe in God for something? Keep believing until it happens. You need a blessing? Keep believing until it happens. There is a qualifier in this thing. The word says we have to seek him till it comes. We looked at the first command, sow to yourself in righteousness. Now I want us to wrap it up and look at the second command in, in Hosea 10, 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, and look at that last part. Break up your fallow ground. Break up. Your fallow ground. Now, unless you've been in church a long time or you're an English major or you just read a lot of really old literature, you don't know what fallow means. But the word fallow means it was used before, but it's not being used now. It's an agricultural term. God taught Israel how to rotate crops, how to let a field lie dormant once every seven years so the soil could replenish itself. So the field... The, the ground that was once used is not being used now. 
but it has to be broken up. What, what, what's the story? A lot of you used to be used by the Lord more than you're being used now. Your life has become fallow ground. Here's, here's something deep. Fallow ground is unusable because fallow ground is unused. There's nothing wrong with the ground other than the fact that it's not being used. Why is it unusable? Because you're not using it. You used to have a soft heart for God. You used to have a tender heart for God. This is not land that's never been productive before. Fallow ground is previously productive ground. And the whole city is filled up with people who used to preach, who used to teach, who used to serve, who used to dig, who used to us, who used to give, who used to pray, who used to, used to, used to, used to, used to. But what are they doing now? They're not doing it anymore. So their ground became unproductive. Their life became unproductive. Some of you, if you've ever done more for God than you're doing now, you need to just put a sign on your head that says, I am fallow. Now, on the one hand, it's a compliment. Because on the one hand, it says, I've done stuff before. I've produced before. I have spiritually been productive in my life. But on the real, what's going on today? Empty. No fruit, no production, not being used. God said, Christian, break up your fallow ground. If you don't understand farming, there's a lot of work that goes into breaking up ground. See, because the natural state of ground is decay. Go ahead and leave. You build a garden in your backyard. Go ahead and box it off with bricks, landscape timbers, whatever you want to do. Go ahead. Get that ground perfect. Bring in some potting soil. Make it beautiful. Plant it. Get you some nice tomatoes, cucumbers, whatever, watermelon, whatever you want to get. And then leave it alone for a whole year. It's not going to be pretty anymore. Weeds pop up just because. You don't have to plant weeds. They just show up. Rocks just appear in that ground. Like, we tilled this last year. How is it all so hard now? It just goes bad. And weeds and debris get in there. And you got to do a lot of work to get it back usable again. You say, well, I don't feel like doing that. Well, then you'll be less than fallow ground. You'll die in an unproductive state. And I want you to let God use you one more time. I want you to be like Samson. Samson was going to die. He'd done good things in life. He'd messed up in his life. At the end of his life, he begged God just one more time. I'll tell you the way he said on the northwest side, one more again. Just one more again. Let me just one more time feel your strength in my body. Let me do something for you one more time. The heart of every real Christian is to do something for God one more time. But if you become unproductive, there's a lot of hard dirt you got to bust up. you got, you got to get a sharp blade and go to cutting. The Bible says that this is a sword. This word is sharp. It will cut right down to the heart of the matter. you got to churn it. you got to tumble it. you got to put it through some trauma. you got to jerk some stuff up out of it. This is work to break up your fallow ground. Why would anybody want to do all that work? Nobody does the work for the work's sake. They do the work for the result's sake. 
when a farmer does all that tilling, he's got he's to till the land. He's got to drag the land. He's got to till it again. He's got to plant. He's got to prepare the land. He's got to plant the land. He's got to fertilize it, pesticide it, insecticide it. He's got to watch it. And all the while, he's not doing any of that for the work's sake. He's doing that for the result's sake. He's doing that for the harvest that's coming. I'm not asking you to do hard work for hard work's sake. I'm asking you to do something for the Lord so he can grow fruit in your life and you can be productive again. That phrase fallow ground means tillable but not recently tilled. Plowed before and could be very productive again but is not being productive right now. <laughs> if we had time right now to go around this row and ask everybody, how many of you have ever done this, that, and the other thing in church? We got people in this room that have preached, prophets, evangelists, apostles, people been deacons, prophetesses, pe people who have, who have founded churches. We got, we got people in this room that could do so much and have done so much. But where are you at now? Break up your fallow ground. Don't be unusable. Don't be like that old garden that's just overgrown person who life becomes fallow ground the danger is you can get content with no production you can just live off what you used to do listen if you're living off what you used to do don't expect God's blessing in your life now if you're living off what you used to do don't expect anything good to happen to you now Jesus said give us this day Christianity is a this day religion Pastor, I used to be in intercessory prayer. Where are you at? Pastor, I used to teach. Where are you at? Pastor, I used to serve. Where are you at? What you used to do is not getting you anywhere today. That's like a farmer still telling that same old story. That, that field over behind my house used to be the largest producing crop in all of Florida. Well, it looks raggedy right now. Who's it feeding? Nobody. Who's it blessing? Nobody. But if he'd just till it one more time, if he'd break that up and go back and do what he did before, here's my whole punchline. I'm going to skip all the rest of that and just give you this. It's not a new thing. It's an old thing. If you're saved, you don't need a new thing. You need to do what you did before. Because here's what most people did when they first got saved. They got excited about God. They started reading the Bible. They started praying. They started coming to church with joy in their heart. They started giving their money, and God just began to rain down blessing on them. If you break up your fallow ground and seek the Lord till he comes, he is going to shower you with his blessings. He is going to rain down righteousness on you, and it's not going to be mercy drops. It's going to be showers of blessing. I told you all years ago God gave me a vision. I don't share my vision with most people. I don't, I don't tell people most of the time what God has told me. If you ever get in a situation with me, and I look at you seriously and say, no joking aside, God told me to tell, and I say that in your life, pay attention to it. I do that very rarely. I've, I've given very few prophetic words in this church 16-year history, but when I have, I put dates on them, and they've all happened. Okay, I, God gave me a vision one time, I shared it with y'all, that I was standing in a crowd, crowded field, and everybody was getting rained on but me. And it was God's blessing, just raining on everybody but me. 
I'm like, I'm the pastor. I study more than everybody in this room put together. I pray more than this whole church. I'm the biggest giver in the history of this church. All these people getting raindrops. Everybody's getting showered a blessing on but me. And just like cinematography, the picture panned back to where I could see a wider display. And everybody, the shower that they were getting, each person had an individual hose over top of them. And God was just spraying them. You know how I used to water the grass? Before we had sprinklers, we'd go out there and, and just spray the grass like this. God had a hose, and he was just spraying down on top of them. And it panned back some more, and I could see what was on top of me. And God had a hose on top of me, and I had my left hand wrenched up there, and I'd crimp the hose. I was the one stopping it. The hose was there. Everybody had a hose. The water was on. Everybody was getting blessed but me because I had my hand in the wrong place. I was preventing God. God standing over you with a hose today wanting to rain down blessing on you. You need to take your hand off that hose. You need to, you want to be blessed, you got to position yourself to be blessable. you got to get under the spout where the glory comes out. You got to start planting the right type of seeds. You got to bust up your old tired heart. You got to break up them old ways, and and, and you got to you, you got to get usable again. And you got to say, "For the Lord I'll live, and for the Lord I'll die." And I used to love Him more than I love Him now, but I'm gonna go back to loving Him like I loved Him back then. I'm gonna get my mind, my life right with God, and I'm gonna make this happen one more time. That's the heart of every real Christian. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. I want you to let the Lord do it again in your life. I was going to have everybody come down front. I'm not going to do that. But if I asked it, don't do it, don't move. But if I said everybody that is willing to get usable again, break up that, that unproductive ground in your life. If I said if you really want that and you want God to use you one more time before you die, if you want to honor God with your life, if you really want to give God one more chance to rain down blessing on you, if I were to do that and say everybody, we'd have people come. Some of you would come. You don't have to come down here and let people see. You just give mental, mental recognition to God right now and say, God, that's me. One more time, God. Let's do this one more time. We got a community to reach. We got, we, we got to go at it one more time. We got a church here that needs to glorify God. You have homes, marriages, relationships. Get it all right and moving in the right direction. Plant the right seed, you grow the right crop. But planting on hard ground won't help. And that's why some of you ain't growing nothing. Your ground's hard. Your heart's hard. Your heart becomes hard when you start, start telling God no. The scripture says it becomes waxed over. You take a nail and you drag it across a piece of wood, you had damaged that wood. You go to one of these barbecue joints where they know the table's going to be messy and they got four inches of shellac on them. You take a nail, drag it across that, you have not damaged that wood because they coated it and coated it and coated it. Some of your hearts have been coated over by sin, coated over by days, weeks, months, and years of telling God no. Today, I want you to tell him yes. Today, I want you to tell him yes 
while you still can. God's not through with you. The fact that you're here is proof of that. God still has purpose for you. You just got to get involved in it. You got to start cleaning up your garden. You got to pull the weeds out and you got to get the tiller moving so that God can begin to bless your effort. There's nothing more discouraging than trying and getting nowhere. But sowing seed on hard ground will not produce good fruit. Get your heart soft to God again. Go back to prayer. Go back to Bible study. Go back to right living. Start talking about God more than you talk about other things. If your life's not producing the fruit you want, start planting the right seed on soft ground. If your heart is hard on the cross, you need to, you need to till that up. You say, how do I know? When's the last time you cried in prayer? Tears in your eyes. When's the last time you wept trying to sing a song? Snot running down your face. See, when my eyes start leaking and that nose starts leaking, it's because God's doing something on the inside. He's squeezing that heart. And it's coming out somewhere. God said, for the hardness of your heart, he would not. So many things that he said he would not. But he said, if you'll turn to me and seek me until I come, I will rain down on you. Maybe you've been seeking God for a long time. Maybe you tilled up. Maybe your heart is soft. Maybe you weep over your own sin. Maybe you weep over the sin of this nation. Maybe you've been waiting a long time. Keep waiting. The word says, seek him till he come. None of us have received that flood from his rain. We used to sing a song. It's raining. It's raining. It ain't raining in most people's lives. It's dry and it's barren. The ground is parched. And nothing's happening. you got to make a decision that says, I am going to go back. And I'm going to start again being the man, the woman God wants me to be. God said, if you confess your sins, he'll forgive you of your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You're only one prayer away from being perfectly right with God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy, God. Lord, we thank you for not punishing us to the degree we deserve, but for giving us mercy. And God, I pray now in Jesus' name that you would inspire us, God, motivate us, encourage us to seek you more, to love you more, to break up our fallow ground, and to be usable again. Lord, I pray for every Christian in this room that has ever done anything for you that's not doing it now. Lord, I pray that you would help them to break up their fallow ground and that you would use them again. Fill them with hope, God. Fill them with purpose. Fill them with destiny, Lord, to know that you are not done, but you are still alive. God, I pray that you'd use this church for your glory. We've made a scratch on this community, God. I pray that you'd rain down righteousness on this community. I pray that we would seek you in such a way that you would show up. 
You said to seek you till you come. God, I pray that we would seek you in such a way that you would show up and that you would flood righteousness on our lives in this church and it would flow out from this place like a river. God, we ask you to bring your healing rain. Bring your delivering rain. Bring victorious rain. God, I pray that you would saturate us with your goodness, with your righteousness, Lord. Forgive us for our sins. And fill us with your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.